praise the name of the Lord. Amen. Come on, shout to the Lord. One more time. Amen. What a great God we serve. Amen. Amen. Luke, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he. Let's hold on just a moment. Let's pray. Father, we're praying, God, that your word would go forth today. We're asking you to touch us and help us to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Give him another hand clap of praise. Amen. 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 It's time for us to turn to God's word. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servants at supper time to those who were invited, said, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I've bought five oaks of yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you've commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come, that my house may be full. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. I want to speak to you today on the subject RSVP. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that you add your anointing to its preaching, God, as we prepare the table of the Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many has ever received one of these, an RSVP? Do you know what that means? I know what it's asking me to do. I wasn't sure what it means. Uh, it, it means something along these lines. My French is a little rusty since I never knew it. Répondez, say vous play, which means please respond. Interesting enough, the French don't even use it anymore. They think it's too formal, but over here in the United States, we still use it. And what we're asking people is let us know if you're coming because we want to know how to prepare. We want to make sure that we have enough so if we're not going to prepare hoping everybody will come, if you'll let us know that you're coming, then we'll make sure that we've got enough for everybody that's coming. By the way, it's not only an insult to RSVP for an event and not go, but when you RSVP for an event and don't go, you have added extra expense to the founder of the feast. Whoever's given the party is paying for you to have enough food to be there so when you don't come, you've wasted their resources. The kingdom of heaven requires an RSVP. Jesus says, and it's, it's from way back, even in the Old Testament, especially the prophet Isaiah, there's the expectation that at the end of life, there's going to be a banquet, a party for God's people, but it does require an RSVP. You've got to sign up. You've got to let them know that they're coming. Jesus was invited to a banquet in the home of a, 
prominent Pharisee. And he used this occasion to talk about the kingdom of God. The first thing that he talked about was he talked about the environment of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a party. The kingdom of heaven is like a banquet. There was one uh, scholar, Scottish scholar years ago that said that you can't even conceive of Jesus when he was little playing a game or as a grown man smiling. But that's not my view of Jesus at all. Jesus, yes, he was a man that was a man of grief and acquainted with sorrows, but Jesus knew how to smile. In fact, one of the criticisms that Jesus had when he was on the earth is they accused him falsely, but they accused him of being a glutton and a wine-bibber. Jesus was not a, an aesthetic. He was not like John the Baptist living out in the wilderness. Jesus mixed with people and was around people, and we see him attending a lot of parties. In fact, his first miracle was at a wedding reception in Cana of Galilee. Now, there's some people that believe uh, believe that to be righteous means you have to be rigid. There are people that believe in order to be pious, you have to be prudish. But that's not the way Jesus was. In fact, John Locke said, laughter is a sudden glory. William Barclay said this. He said, a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. He said, there's no healthy pleasure which is forbidden, no healthy pleasure which is forbidden to a Christian. For a Christian is like someone who is forever at a wedding feast. Now what the world doesn't understand is this doesn't have to do with circumstances. This is not happiness that is dependent upon happenings. We can in a jail cell, we can in a hospital room, we can in, in dire poverty still feast upon the good things of God and enjoy each day of life. And then Jesus talks about the etiquette of the kingdom. This was a prominent Pharisee that had invited him to a meal, but the Bible says that they invited him not because they wanted his company, not because they wanted to hear truth. They wanted to watch him. They wanted to inspect him. In fact, the word means that they watched him with kind of an interested and sinister espionage. And in the midst, there's a man there that has dropsy. Now, dropsy is an old word for what we call edema. And it is the swelling. And the Bible doesn't tell us what kind of swelling it is, but it's the accumulation of fluid. If it had been in the leg, we would call it elephantitis. But uh, it could have been in the heart. It could have been in the head. It could have been in any part of the body. But wherever that edema, that dropsy was, there would have been swelling. And it would have been to the other people uh, at, the, uh, you know, at the feast. It would have been somewhat disconcerting to them to see somebody in that condition. I remember my granddaddy telling me, and please don't be offended if you or anybody you know has a similar condition, but I remember my grandfather telling me that he went to school with a, a young boy that had been in a fire and his hands had been burned. And in that fire, he actually only had the thumb and the pinky finger on one uh, hand and what was there where the other fingers were being was raw and angry looking flesh and it, it was just difficult to look at. And he said they used to eat their lunch. They'd gather together out in the, in the, in the schoolyard and make a big circle and they'd eat their lunch. And most people, what they had was a cold biscuit and maybe a slice of ham for breakfast that morning and a, you know, a mason jar full of syrup. And he said, what you do, you'd take that, your thumb and stick it down in that biscuit and then pour the syrup in. And he said, it doesn't matter where I sat in that circle, I would end up right across from that boy with that angry looking flesh. And I felt sorry for him 
but it was, it was unpleasurable for me to see that. That's the way this would have been at that banquet. It would have been a little bit out of place for them to see that. I don't know, many of you don't even know who Elvis Presley is anymore, but Elvis Presley, before he died, Elvis obviously had some health problems. I think that he suffered from, from uh, heart congestion. And, and uh, Elvis, before he died, he swelled up real, real big. It wasn't just, it wasn't just weight. He was literally swollen, and it was difficult to look at him right in the, his last year or so of life. That's the way this man would have been. And Jesus, they were watching him to see if he would heal that man on the Sabbath day. In fact, a lot of people believe that they planted the man there, that he was invited especially for the reason to tempt Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day. And Jesus healed him. And after that, Jesus looked around and he saw the way they were choosing the best seats at the table. And he talks about the etiquette of the kingdom. He says, when you go to a party, when you go to the banquet, don't choose out the best seats for yourself. Because you might have somebody that's more important come in and they'll say to you, would you move and give them your seat? Go in and seat in the lower seats. In fact, sometimes there was even a difference in what the menu was between the good seats and the not so good seats. That there, it was really a, a social scale of where you rated of how important you were. He says, sit in the, in the lower seats and then if somebody comes and raises you up and asks you to sit at a higher seat, then you will be honored. Honor's this way, if you seek it, for it's like a butterfly, if you chase it, It'll run from you, it'll fly away, but if you'll sit still, honor will light on you. A lot of people chase honor. Don't chase honor, chase excellence, and honor will come to you. But Jesus revealed that he wasn't just talking about the etiquette. He just wasn't being the Emily, Emily Post of Jerusalem. He wasn't just talking about the etiquette of a party. He was talking about something more important. He said, in the kingdom of heaven, there's a principle that the least are going to be first, and the first are going to be last. And Jesus uh, talked about an attitude people had. Heard this many years ago. There are people that enter into a room and their attitude is, here I am. And other people enter into a room and their attitude is, there you are. And we need to be there you are kinds of people. We don't need to go in and try to make, a, make an oppression and, and make a, you know, a, a good impression on people. We need to be interested in other people. And then Jesus said, when you invite people to a party, don't invite the people that can help you. Don't invite the people that can turn around and invite you to their party. Now, I have said on various boards uh, on, the, uh, on our state level in our church, and there's a little game that they play, and that is that every member of that board, they'll ask them to bring a $100 bill to give to whatever minister at the state level is over that board. And so we do that, but then we know when we do that, we're going to get a gift from the guy that's over that board. You know this, uh, Billy. We'll get a guy from over that board. We'll give $100 to give them a gift. They'll turn around and give $100 to each member of the board. So we're just swapping $100 bills, right? It's a little game that, that is played. I was disappointed the last time I took my $100 bill and only got 50 back. I felt gypped a little bit. But it's a little game that's played there. But Jesus said when you invite somebody, don't invite the people that are going to turn around and have you over to their party. Don't do it for social reasons. He said, I want you to invite those that are poor, those that are maimed, those that are lame, those that are blind. You, you bless them and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. But you'll be blessed at the resurrection of the just. Again, there was this man with dropsy that was there, invited probably to tempt him, 
And he said, don't, don't have ulterior motives. Ulterior motives, invite those and you'll be blessed. Hearing all of this, in verse 15, there was one that sat at the table and he said, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And uh, Mark Williams said that, that this was actually not just an innocent statement. He was actually baiting Jesus into a 700-year-old controversy, a 700-year-old conversation because in the book of Isaiah in verse in chapter 25 verses 6 through 9 he says the Lord's going to give a feast of choice pieces a feast of the wines on the leaves of fat things full of marrow of well-refined wine of leaves he'll destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering uh, cast over all people and the veil that spread over na- uh, over the nations he will swallow up death forever the Lord God will wipe away tear from all faces he the rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken and then he says this is what they'll say behold this is our God we waited for him he will save us this is the Lord we have waited for him we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation Isaiah said at the end of time there's going to be a party that God's going to give for his people and for 700 years the people of God the Jews the Israelites have debated who's going to be at that party what's that party going to be about there was a a document called the Targum which was a a, trend, a paraphrase of scripture and some commentary and here's what they thought about the feast they were going to be a banquet all right but it's not going to be a happy banquet it's going to be a banquet with plagues it's going to be a banquet for the destruction of evildoers it's going to be a banquet of justice and judgment in the book of Enoch Enoch saw it as well Gentiles will be invited all right but they're going to be invited so they'll be killed and, when, and, and God's people are going to have to kind of slug through the blood of the Gentiles to get to the feast. The Essenes who produced the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they believed in the Messianic rule. They believed that only the pious, only the righteous people would be there. And since good health is a blessing from God to those that are good, there's not going to be anybody there that's lame, anybody that has any blemish, anybody that has any trouble. You know, even today, there are Christian, well-meaning Christian people that will call somebody who's sick and say, you know, if you were right with God, you wouldn't be sick. They do that until they get sick, <laughs> right? There are people that see that the absence of any kind of trouble or the absence of any kind of physical problems means that you're living righteous. Can I tell you, there are righteous people that suffer and there are unrighteous people that enjoy good health. And we do believe in healing. We prayed for healing today and we thank God for healing. But don't you attach a spiritual significance to the fact that somebody may have an ailment or not have an ailment. That's looking through carnal eyes. So Jesus talks about that and in talking about all of that, uh, he already had it in mind way back in chapter 13. As he began to go through the journey, he was on his way to Jerusalem to die. As he began to go through the villages, he began to teach them. And one said, Lord, are there only a few going to be saved? And Jesus said, well, let me say it this way. Strive to enter in at the narrow door because there's a door into the kingdom and that door is closing. You got to get in before the door closes. The door is closing because there's coming a day that people that want to enter into the banquet 
are going to find themselves on the other side of a locked door and they're going to knock on that door and they're going to say let us in and the master will say I don't know you I don't know your people I don't know who you are I don't know where you're from and they'll say what do you mean you ate with us in the streets you knew you were there when we were there when you taught us what do you mean that you don't know us but he said listen I want you to know that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are coming to my party and from the east and the west and the north and the south there are people that are coming to my party but if you didn't get in the door there's going to be outside there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth because when that feast comes the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last daddy used to say to me he said son there's some things going to surprise you when you get to heaven Number one, when you get to heaven, you're going to look around and some of the people you knew were going to be there ain't going to make it. He's going to look into heaven and some of the people you were convinced were not going to make it are going to be there. And he said the greatest surprise at all is that you'll be surprised to find that you yourself are there. The least will be first, the first shall be last. And so Jesus begins to talk at this banquet. He begins to, he said a certain man had a supper, he invited many. And those that he invited had RSVP'd. They said, we'll be there. But when the day come, the servant went out and began to seek and ask them, it's time to come to the party. And one said, no, I can't go today. I bought a piece of land and I've got to go check it out. Now this was obviously an excuse. Listen, good farmland in the Middle East is rare. A man would not buy a field without going and checking it out first. It was not a legitimate reason. It was an excuse. I don't want to go to the party. Another man said, well, I, I have bought a, a, a yoke of oxen, a team of oxen. i got to go test them and try them out. He would test them and try them out before he bought them. In fact, when they sell them, they have a place there for you to plow with them and see how they do. It was not a reason, it was an excuse. Another man said, well, I've married a wife and I can't come. Now, I can kind of get that one, but it's still an excuse and not a reason. They had RSVP'd, but they did not want to go. Now, I want you to understand that sometimes those of us that are actually concerned about people's souls get frustrated when people don't respond. But can I tell you that we can provide opportunities we can present options. Amen. We can even preach about obligations. But we cannot procure a person's orientation. You want to know why people don't come to church? Because they don't want to. It's pure and simple. Every one of us that are here this morning could have found an excuse not to come. We're not talking about people that are sick. We're not talking about people that are infirm. We're not talking about people that are shut in. We're talking about good everyday people that don't want to be in church. They don't come to church because they don't want to. If you say to somebody, why haven't you come and seen me? It's because they didn't want to. Because what you want to do, you'll find a way to do. The people that aren't in church this morning, they're not here because they don't want to be. Right? And as frustrating as it is, you can't crack somebody's heart open and pour in them the desire to be around the things of God. You can encourage them, but you can't make them. So they, they, God had gone to, or the master had gone to great expense, and yet that expense seemed to be wasted because they didn't come. And he said, I'll tell you what to do. If they don't want to come, 
go out here into the lanes and the alleyways and find those that are sick, those that normally wouldn't get invited to a party, those that are, that are lame, those that are blind, those that aren't the social elite, those that are poor, ask them to come. And when they did that, there was still room at the table. He said, well, now go out in the highways and hedges and start compelling them to come because I'm not going to let it go to waste. Can I tell you that the feast that we have when life is over was purchased by the precious blood of God's own son? And you don't have to go if you don't want to. But can I tell you, God's going to find somebody to fill the table. There's not one drop of his precious blood going to go to waste. He'll find somebody. He'll get some drug addict, some murderer, some child molester, some rapist. He'll get somebody who's wanting to come to the party so that his house may be full. If you believe that, give him a hand clap of praise. Whenever you invite those lower uh, social class of people, the host brings down his own social stock. And I'm so glad that, that Mary said that Jesus was the one that had condescended to men of low estate. And that the people that were full, he had sent away empty. The people didn't think they wanted him, didn't think they needed him. They didn't find anything but the people that were desperate. The people that were hungry, that's who he brought. This is so greatly illustrated in the story of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. He was the son of Jonathan. Whenever his granddad and his dad perished, his nurse had scooped him up and had, he had either fallen or she had dropped him and he was lame in both feet. He was living over in a place called Lodabar. After David became king, he remembered a promise he'd made to Jonathan that he would be kind to his offspring. And he got to hunting. He sent his servant to find Mephibosheth. And he brought Mephibosheth back. And he said, I'm going to give back to you all the land that belonged to your father and your grandfather, all their possessions. But as for you, you're going to eat at my table like a king's kid. So when Solomon came in, in his royal robes, when, when Absalom came in with his hair flowing, when all of the king's kids got around the table, they had to wait until that little crippled boy, Mephibosheth, made his way to the table and sat down. And I'm telling you that God has invited us to their table. There are some people think you're not smart enough. Some people think you're not strong enough. Some people think you're not righteous enough. Some people think you're not good enough to be at God's party. But God has invited you with a bloodstained invitation to be at his banquet. God wants you to be a part of it. Somebody says, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. In that coming evening, the tables are going to be turned. There is coming a day where the last is going to be first and the first is going to be last. It's true that the Bible teaches that not many of noble birth, not many wealthy people, not, not many people of influence are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's true, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into heaven. It's true that Jesus talked about a rich man that would not feed a beggar named Lazarus at his gate, but when they died, Lazarus was in paradise and the rich man was in hell. But there are people that think, oh, goody, goody, goody. There's coming a day that I'm going to get my own and all these rich, rich, wealthy people are going to be in hell and I'm going to be in heaven. Goody, 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 goody. 
People that have that attitude. There is a natural animosity toward the wealthy. There's a natural animosity that we feel toward the rich. But I want you to understand, this is not some kind of manifesto for Occupy Wall Street. What was the difference between the ones that went to the party and the ones that stayed uh, stayed away? Is it rich versus poor? No. If it, is it social status versus those that have no social status? No. Is it first, last? No. What's the difference? The crowd that had the wealth and the influence did not want to go. But those that didn't have anything went gladly and rejoiced on their way. This banquet is reserved for only one kind of people and that's those that are willing to come. For Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus ends the parable by saying that the master said, none of those that would not come, none of those that were invited will taste of my supper. It offended God that he was spurned. Not many people want to talk about that. God is a God of love, absolutely. But can I tell you that when he presents the body and blood of his son and we spurn it, then the anger of God is kindled against those that have rejected so great a sacrifice. I kind of understand a little bit of this feeling. When Katie was about two years old, we threw a party for her. We We rented out a local pizza place. We bought about 10 pizza pies. And we invited all of our church friends to come. Now we had waited a little late. We didn't give them a, a, you know, we played it in RSVP. We didn't give them a long notice. It was kind of short. And I know in my logical mind that people just had other things to do. But we sat there and sat there and sat there. And one lady with her daughter showed up. Now, here's what I got thinking about. All of those snotty-nosed youngins that I had took took my youngins to their birthday party, took my Saturday when Georgia Bulldogs were playing to go to their party, and they didn't come to our party. I tell you, I wanted to preach hellfire and brimstone that next morning. It hurt me and it offended me. I had gone through the time, I had gone through the expense, and they rejected me. I'm going to tell you, it hurts the heart of God when you're invited to his table and you spurn his invitation. There is coming, that's the entrance to the kingdom, there is coming the error or the era of the kingdom. In Matthew 22, the version that Matthew gives of this parable, he says it's a wedding feast. Let me describe to you very, very quickly for the sake of time, the wedding feast The groom and the bride would be a spouse to each other. It was legally binding, but they had not come together as man and wife. They had not consummated the marriage. They were not living together, but they were a spouse to each other. It was much more than just being engaged. They were legally bound. But I'm told that the the groom would go away and build the honeymoon home. And when the home was finished, he would come back and get the bride. They didn't circle the calendar. They didn't know the day or the hour. 
that the groom was going to come. They just kept watching and waiting for the groom to come. But when he got it finished, he would come and take the bride and take her home and they would have a wedding feast with all of their friends. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, when you got saved, you were a spouse to him. Uh, the Apostle Paul said you were a spouse to him like a pure virgin to a heavenly groom. And Jesus is preparing us a place and he's going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to take us beyond the clouds and he's going to take us to a banquet. Revelation 19, uh, starting at verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of great multitude, as the sounds of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. God is inviting you to a party where you are the guest of honor. The marriage supper of the Lamb of God. He wants you to be his bride. Used to sing a song when I was growing up. Some of it went like this. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people come and dine. There with manna he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, it's sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Soon the Lamb will take his bride to be ever at his side, and all of the host of heaven will assembled be. Oh, twill be a glorious sight, all the saints of God in spotless white, and with Jesus we shall feast eternally. There's coming a time when Jesus is going to come and take us to the party. Now, the night before Jesus died on Friday, the night he was betrayed. The last thing that he did on earth before his betrayal and death was he had a banquet. He had a feast, the Passover feast. And in the middle of that Passover feast, he took the bread that was part of that Passover feast and broke it and said, this is something new, guys. This is a new covenant. This is my body which is broken for you. And he took the cup of blessing and held it up. And he said, this cup is the new covenant with God in my blood. And he instituted what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And then he said something very unique in Matthew 26 and 29. He said this, guys, I won't drink this cup again till I drink it with you new in the kingdom of heaven. Now, just a moment, we're going to give our altar call a different way. On the back of your pews, there's a little cup that has a wafer and has some juice there. And we're going to celebrate communion. But I want you to understand that when we celebrate 
communion. Jesus said, when you do this, remember me. And not only remember that I died for you and rose again, remember that I'm coming back. Now, have you ever been to a party that you just wasn't hungry? But they came around with a tray of appetizers. And you ate a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And all of a sudden that hunger kicked in. And you couldn't wait for the main event. When we gather together around God's table and we partake of communion, it's a foretaste of glory divine. It's just a little taste of what we got coming. It's an appetizer for that great banquet that we have. Jesus has a banquet and you're invited. I want you to stand across this building. We're going to pray and then we're going to ask everybody to take your cup and come down front and squeeze in down front and down the aisles. You say, well, I'm not worthy. I had somebody stop by this morning, and they saw the communion cups. They wasn't able to stay because they had to go to work, but they stopped by this morning. They saw the communion cups, and they said, I can't take communion. I said, why not? They said, because I, I keep backsliding. There's a warning about taking communion unworthily. But here's the thing. What you hold in your hand represents the only thing that will make you worthy. That's the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. So Jesus, or the Apostle Paul, writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, never said, now, don't partake of the, of the Lord's table unworthily. So if you're unworthy, don't do it. That's not what he said. He said, before you do it, examine yourself. And if you got anything that you need to get right with God, get it right with God. If you got something you need to get right with somebody else, get it right with them. And then come on to the table. So we're going to pray. If you're here today, you say, well, pastor, I'm not even saved. I'm not even a Christian. The Lord can take care of that right now. I want you to bow your heads. And I want you to pray this with me. In fact, if you'll just pray this aloud with me. Say this. Say, Father, thank you for inviting me to the party. And Lord, I want to come to the table. Today, I want to come to the table. Lord, when life's over, I want to go to the party. So Lord, right now, Take your blood. Wash me clean of anything that's not like you. Forgive my sins and make me worthy. Lord, I know there's a dress code for that party. So, Lord, robe me in your righteousness. Cover me in the blood. Hide me in yourself. 
In Jesus' name, I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose again, and that you're coming back. And I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. And your word says, if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and that you've raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord, for making me ready. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you gather from across this building today? Come on, bring your cup and your wafer with you. Let's come up front. I'm asking everybody that will. We're going to be dismissed right from here. Everybody that will, bring that with you. Praise the Lord. Come on, sing to us. Worship the Lord as you come. first layer of cellophane there and reveal the wafer then you can peel back the second layer of tinfoil and reveal the juice I'm always so moved when I remember that Jesus wanted to spend his last night of earthly existence around the table with his disciples. And then I'm moved so much more when I realize that Jesus is still wanting to spend time around the table with me. That's what what this is. 
when we come to this moment, we're coming to the table where Jesus is. And he's provided the feast. His own body and his own blood. Would you take your wafer? Would you hold it in your hands? The night that Jesus was betrayed, when he had taken the bread and blessed it, he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. You may partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Then when he held that, held that cup up high, he said, take and drink this. This is the New Testament, the new covenant with God in my blood. You may partake of the juice. As often as you eat that bread and drink that blood, that wine, you show God's death, the Lord Jesus Christ's death, until he come. Would you just raise your hands right now? Let's just take a moment. Thank you, Jesus.